You have stolen my dreams. A green hydrogen powerhouse. Let's talk about climate change. Yeah, something new and different he's bringing to Radio National. Climate alarmism, I mean, honestly. How dare you? This is the last chance. Expect a lot of discussion around energy and the price of coal from here to National Cabinet on Friday and probably beyond. But setting fossil fuels to one side for the moment, how long might it take to convert Australia's national electricity market to 100% renewable power? The Australian energy market operator has recently released a report and here to help us decipher that report is the editor and founder of A New Economy, Giles Parkinson. Welcome back to Drive. Oh, thanks for having me. Giles, what does it mean when the Australian energy market operator says it's mapped out a plan to operate the country's main grids on 100% renewable power for hours and days at a time? Well, look, it's actually fairly significant because it's one thing to have enough wind and solar in the system and hydro, for that matter, to um, power all the homes um, attached to the grid. It's quite another thing to be able to manage that. It's just really a fundamental change from these big centralised spinning generators that we've been living with for the last sort of 50 or 60, 70, 80 years to having um, distributed inverter-based technologies that is subject to variation from the weather. So for the market operator to say that, um, or to map out this roadmap and say, yes, we can do it, but there is actually a bunch of things we need to get our minds around and we need to do, is really quite a significant development because there's a lot of people out there who say quite simply that wind and solar can't power a modern economy. And we've now got the market operator whose main function is to keep the lights on saying, well, yes, it can. Um, it's complex and it's not easy, but it can be done and we need to do a few things to be able to get there. I mean, it's wonderful that they're saying it can be done, but AMO Chief Executive Daniel Westman says it would also be a feat unparalleled in the world. Can you break down what we would need to actually achieve operating a gigawatt scale power system on 100% instantaneous renewable generation? Well, mainly you need the assurance or the market operator needs the assurance that it can actually keep the lights on. Not so much just sort of because there's enough wind and solar to sort of to, to do that, but also to deal with any unexpected events. And I guess that's probably what they're reasonably or, or they're most worried about is what happens if there's, you know, a transmission like goes down or a big load like a big factory suddenly um, disconnects from the grid or a big generator disconnects. And what happens is there are ripple effects that goes through the system. So it's not about having it as, you know, um, enough quantity of wind and solar, if you like. It's about having the quality of it. So this comes down to the management of the inverter technologies and how they respond and provide all those system services to the grid. These are things that we've gotten from big spinning machines in the past, like the coal and the gas and the hydro generators haven't just provided power. They've also provided things like what's called inertia and system strength and frequency control. Now, it turns out that inverters can do all of those things and they can probably do them just as well. In fact, they can probably do them even more efficiently. The trick with the system at the moment is that you're kind of changing from one thing to another. It's a bit like going from sort of analogue to digital and back to analogue again. Um, and how the system operator manages that and the sort of changing sort of um, qualities of these different technologies um, all sort of merging in at once is, is, is probably the biggest challenge. So they've just put out a whole list of things to do it's really quite um, 
Um, it's um, you know, it's, it's very very detailed, but a lot of it's about just sort of clarifying the rules, clarifying the protocols, clarifying what it is they need in place for this to allow to happen. So. We're probably going to see it happen in the next three years, by 2025, for periods of, say, half an hour. And then they're reasonably confident that they're going to be able to move, once they're sort of satisfied with that, into times of hours and days. I mean, a lot of that will be decided about whether we can actually build enough wind and solar at that time to deliver the power, but also that we also get this little, you know, these new systems in place. So uh, predicted that we'll reach this uh, 100% renewables in the grid by 2025. But even though we will hit that at that point, it will be for short periods, as you say, will we still be relying on gas and coal for firming power? Well, not at those particular moments. I mean, that's the interesting part of that, that, that what they're talking about is that at those particular moments, when they allow it to happen for half an hour or one hour, it will be not, it'll just be renewables. There will be no gas and coal and things like that. And what they will need to have in place is like battery storage or other sort of systems in place to be able to sort of respond if, if something does happen. Now, there's going to be a long time, um, at least a decade or possibly more, before we get rid of all sort of fossil fuel backup. Um, because we will need enough wind and solar in the grid to provide 100% renewables on average, um, not just for sort of half an hour, days at a, or you know hours or days at a time. And it's quite likely that we'll probably have enough wind and solar even before 2025, as we've actually seen in the West Australian grid just in in the last um, in the last month. But you know, AEMA wasn't comfortable enough for it to happen now because what they want to see is ample capacity there to be able to respond to those situations they're not going to let it happen just because it can happen they're only going to let it happen when they're ready for it to happen on rn drive giles parkinson editor of new economy is here for carbon counter giles moving away from aemo sort of but still somehow connected the world wildlife funds third renewable superpower scorecard has recently been released, and it has New South Wales moving to the top of the class ahead of all the other jurisdictions, ahead, including, you know, nationally, in Australia's race to becoming a renewable energy superpower. But New South Wales hasn't announced any big, shiny, new renewable energy projects recently, unlike Queensland. So how have we taken the lead? Because this hasn't happened before. Yeah, it's really interesting, actually. So New South Wales is, well, first of all, to note, it's the only um, non-Labor state on the mainland. So all the other mainland states have sort of got Labor governments and um, uh, New South Wales is a sort of Liberal coalition government. It's also the only state that really doesn't have a specific renewables target. So you've got Queensland saying, oh, we're going to get to 80% by 2035. Victoria saying we're going to be 95% by 2035. South Australia, 100% probably in the next couple of years and Tasmania already there. But what New South Wales has done, and the reason why it's been rated as, a, as you know a, a, as the best place for renewables at the moment, is that it's actually laid out a detailed roadmap of how it will replace its coal fleet, which is the biggest in the country, it's more than 10 gigawatts, with renewables and storage over the next 10 years. And it's an incredibly detailed plan. So rather than just sort of saying, oh, we're going to set a target, they're just kind of looking at the, the scene, understanding that all the coal-fired generators are probably going to retire in the next decade, or at least most, most of them. They've got five left, and I think four are almost certain to go in the next 10 years, and possibly all of them. And so they've worked out what do we need to do. So they've really, from the ground up, just sort of built a series 
series of auctions, renewable energy zones, consultations with landowners, consultations with traditional owners, consultations with the industry, and really laid out a roadmap um, to get there, which is really quite detailed. Um, it's the most detailed and the most certain of any state, I think because some have set out targets and say, oh, we'll do a bit of this and we'll do a bit of that, but haven't really laid out exactly how they're going to get there. Whereas with the New South Wales government, you can actually see how it is that they're going to get there. And um, yeah, not everyone was happy with it because you know, some people sort of you know, criticise the structure of it and think it's all about central control and stuff like that. But there is no shortage of capital out there. There's no shortage of developers. So the result of that is, is that New South Wales, they've started now the first of a series of probably what's going to be like Oh, probably a dozen or maybe up to 20 tenders, and they've just been overwhelmed by offers of you know people who want to build new wings, solar, battery storage, pumped hydro, um, all this other stuff, and um, they're going to have plenty to choose from. And it's probably, you know, New South Wales is probably right now sort of the hottest ticket in the country um, as regards um, new development. They may have actually increased their lead because I think since that scorecard came out, Energy Australia has announced that it will spend $10 billion over the next decade on renewable energy batteries and storage. And all of that might mean the closure of another New South Wales-based coal-fired power plant uh, much earlier than was expected, the Mount Piper one. How significant is this announcement by Energy Australia, given that they are the third largest energy retailer in the country? Well, it's, re- it, well, it's pretty significant, really, but it's not unexpected. I mean, Mount Piper, um, you know, I was, I was talking earlier in the conversation about, you know, there's five left and four might definitely go, and the fifth one probably will. Well, the fifth one is Mount Piper. Um, and so it's really interesting for Energy Australia to come out and sort of be quite explicit about that now. And it's really good, too, that the three big utilities are starting to think in terms of, oh, we're moving on from coal. It's about time we started building some wind and solar and storage ourselves to maintain their share of utility, their share of the market as well. Because, you know, to be frank, all these three big utilities have been really slow to the party Um um, you know, in building new generation at new capacity. So it's pretty galling for them to sort of sometimes stand up and sort of say, oh, look, we might have to keep these coal-fired power stations open longer because not enough capacity has been built. Well, who didn't build the capacity? It's you guys. Um, and that's why, the, you know, it, that's why the New South Wales Government Initiative is so important. And so the Energy Australia would look at what the New South Wales government is doing and just realising, oh, cripes, if we don't build the capacity, then somebody else is going to build the capacity and they're going to take the share of the market away from us. So in a sense, it's them just reacting to the realities of it, not being in a not being able to be in a position anymore of holding back the transition and just being forced to go along with it and just sort of keep up with the rest of the country. Interesting times indeed. Giles Parkinson is the editor and founder of Renew Economy. Giles, thanks for joining us. Well, thanks for having me. Thank you. Think bigger about the world we live in. Ask your smart speaker to play ABC RN.